All right, guys, here we go. This is the Red Sox podcast of record, the Red Sox podcast of choice, because it's from your very favorite people at CLNS Media. This is Josh Lewin, and this is Red Sox Beat episode 263, 263. I had to do a little deep dive for this one. Mike Andrews, impossible dream, rookie year, second baseman on that 67 Red Sox team. He hit 263. Eight home runs, 40 runs batted in. Eight-year major league career concluded with a a brief stint for the 73 World Series champion A's, managed by the 67 Red Sox skipper Dick Williams. Phase two of Mike Andrews' career began soon after that. He hooked up with the Jimmy Fund, ran with that for around 30 years. Speaking of Jimmys, Jimmy Williams managed the Red Sox in 99, managed him to close to 100 wins. On that team was a guy with a... 263 ERA, haha. 26-year-old right-hander used exclusively in relief. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Derek Lowe, that's right. 74 games that year, 14 more than any other pitcher. He had 15 saves in 99. He had 42 the next year and the year after that. Pushed into the rotation. How about 21 wins? That is a fascinating story arc, and we'll have to table that for another podcast sometime. That would be a long podcast, one on Derek Lowe. First of all, the trade with Veritech for Heathcliff Slocum. Now, the way he would make that frozen face when things were starting to go wrong, all glassy-eyed and shell-shocked. But he, he was a great setup man in 99, great closer. Then he was an embattled closer and a 20-game winner and the thrower of, of an O-hitter. Uh, he was a major disappointment. He was a major hero. Remember, he closed out the Oakland series. He was just so up, so down a guy that fans gave up on a dozen times and then embraced a dozen times. So that's a different podcast. We got things to talk about right now because we are tiptoeing towards a season, a 60-game, hopefully 60-game season. And here's what we got on the pod today. Ian Brown from RedSox.com will join us to give us the very latest because he has been on site and I have not. And in our continued effort to let you get to know some of the new guys on the team, Josh Osich. Tough to say five times fast, Josh Osich, but he is absolutely going to be part of this bullpen. Boise, Idaho native, Oregon State product for college. He know, hit UCLA in 2011. I'm just now forgiving him for that. Uh, Giants, White Sox, now Red Sox. 57 games last year, went 4-0, 466 ERA. And as we know, it's going to be very much about pitching depth this year. So guys like Austin Bryce and Josh Osich. Uh, They will be counted on heavily. Hey, meantime, just a quick reminder, there is no shortage of action finally going on here. Our exclusive bet partner, Bet Online Sports, they are making their way back. UFC, NASCAR, soccer has been leading the way. NBA is coming up. So if you're looking for something besides sports for whatever reason, they've got you covered there too. They've got hundreds of live casino games and poker tournaments. All the best props in the business. Go to BetOnline, visit BetOnline.ag, or use your mobile device. Join now to receive your new welcome bonus. Start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, that should get you ready for our good friend Ian Brown. Let's go live, plausibly live, because he was at Fenway uh, pretty much all over the weekend, and we're taping this thing on a Monday. He's just back from that. Let's go. Let's go to the Zoom call audio tape. As promised, Ian Brown, MLB.com, RedSox.com, joining us, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, I'm not anywhere near Fenway, but Ian certainly is. 
We're talking on a Monday after a workout slash scrimmage kind of situation, I suppose. Uh, new normal coming along okay for you, Ian? I mean, beyond the, the mask wearing, social distancing, and just complete weirdness that we're in here, how's it going? Yeah, it's been doing f- fine here, Josh, honestly. I think the Red Sox have done a great job. Fenway Park, a, a safe place for all of us. They've done a, a really a great job. What did you see today? Take me through, kind of set the scene, because I'm fascinated. I know, I know you guys get a chance to to tweet and, you know, take pictures on your cell phones and stuff, but it's not quite the same. So take me a little bit further inside if you can. Yeah, no, it's just the way the, the park is set up right now. You know, they have the the, um, the players are using the suites as their clubhouses. So, you know, you see guys up there watching inter-squad games uh, up on the suite level. It's kind of funny. Uh, they have... They have batting cages in the concourse, and they've just really done a, a great job, uh, you know, the place out and kind of making Fenway a socially distant atmosphere where you don't have uh, groups who are bunched up. Uh, media is not allowed to leave the press box, so that's a little different. We're used to roaming around, kind of sit up there, and just kind of uh, observe all day. Today was a pretty game. Uh, yeah, they only played; they played just a three-inning. Uh, was wasn't even really a uh, inter-squad game because they didn't have any defender so it's basically uh, just a chance to get some some pitchers some work uh, they'll go back to six or seven innings tomorrow more traditional uh, inter squad game so uh, just you know hitters are getting the timing uh, pitchers are getting counts up so just kind of like uh, right now I'd say we're kind of late stages of, of where spring training would be because you figure the season is going to start a week from Friday so that's what uh, 10 11 days from now so what things do we still really need to find out here? I mean, we know that Mookie's gone. We know that David Price is gone and not even playing now. With what you're seeing, just when you look at this roster, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses? Yeah, I mean, the strength, Josh, is the offense. They have a very good offense, even with without uh, Mookie Betts. Um, what they need to figure out is who's going to pitch. I mean, Eduardo. If you could have picked one player on the Red Sox that you didn't want that you didn't want to get the coronavirus, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez would have been at the top of your list. And lo and behold, he's got the coronavirus. So this pitching staff was already thin as it was with a, a, a front three of uh, Rodriguez, Evaldi, and uh, Martin Perez, who was no sure thing himself. So now it's like you have uh, Erod is in, in quarantine or whatever. We don't know when he's going to come back. See. So you have uh, Nathan Avaldi as your opening day starter. Then you have Martin Perez as the number two guy. Uh, Ryan Weber, who a lot of people have probably never heard of, is your three guy. Brian Johnson is the, as the fourth starter. And then you go with an opener in that fifth spot. So really a lot of question marks with the pitching. Does this team have enough pitching, even in a short and a game season, to kind of be a contender? And that's uh, I think they're going to be creative in the way they use the bullpen. They're going to be relying a lot on the bullpen. Bulk innings from the bullpen because you can't really, outside of Evaldi, you know, where, where are you going to get the innings from? So, guys like Marcus Walden, Colton Brewer, I mean, we saw them for maybe an inning and a third at a time last year. They, to my knowledge, I mean, it, it really would behoove them to go two or three innings this year. Are they able to build up to get to that? Yeah, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Austin Bryce is another guy. Uh, Matt Hall, who we saw pitch three innings today, he had about a 70 RA for the Tigers last year, but uh, has a pretty good track record of, of minor league numbers. And they 
something there. So just, to, you know, as many of those guys as they can. It was also unfortunate that Darwin and Hernandez and Josh Taylor uh, have COVID-19 because those are two real key lefties in their bullpen. And, the, you know, the timing for when these guys are going to come back is just really uh, uncertain right now. And the Red Sox just didn't need that, uh, you know, given, like I said, how, how thin their pitching uh, already was. And the position players, for whatever reason, none of those guys have COVID except for – Bobby Dahlbeck, who's returned uh, to camp. He's back now. Uh, he came in uh, yesterday or the day before. He's probably not even going to make the team, but he gives us some, some depth as a power hitter in case one of the corner guys get hurt. But the pitching has really been depleted here at the beginning of this uh, you know, summer camp, as we're calling it. Dahlbeck, to me, Ian, is really interesting. I know the other day he drove a ball onto the tarp covering the bleacher seats out there in the center. That certainly gets people's attention. Last year, it was Michael Chavis who kind of snuck in on us and gave us something to root for and, and opened people's eyes. Could Dahlbeck be that guy this year? Yeah, I think so. Look, Dahlbeck, they're really impressed with him, uh, both of the student of the game and the power he has. You know, the only knock you have in this guy um, is that he strikes out a ton. But he's got a good, he's got a good eye, uh, you know, really good on both sides of the ball. Can play third, can play first. So it's just a matter, you know, they are giving Chavis the benefit of the doubt to start the year along with Moreland uh, and, and Rafi Devers. So those are going to be your three main uh, corner guys. But, you know, something happens there. Chavis is inconsistent like he was in the second half last year um, or they have an injury, you know, if they have an injury to one of these other guys. Uh, and Dahlbeck could get a chance, but he definitely serves uh, very well from, from a depth standpoint right now. And, you know, they're going to, 30 players on the roster to open the season. So, yeah, who knows? Dahlbeck could even uh, get a spot on that opening day roster with the, you know, they're going to have 30 for the first two weeks. I think another couple interesting guys, Ian. Colin McHugh, the right-hander brought in after a very nice career with the Astros. He's still working through elbow issues and has yet to begin a, a regular throwing program. So it's almost like he's rehabbing. But I was really hoping he could jump right in to the, to the fray here. A guy like that, a guy like Jonathan Lucroy, who let's not forget just a few years ago was fourth in the balloting for an MVP award over in the National League. I mean, this guy's not spam on a cracker. He shows up. Uh, is he ready to contribute? It looks like earlier, certainly, than Colin McHugh would be. Yeah, yeah. McHugh, I think that when this whole camp started, I think that they were hopeful and optimistic that he was basically going to be a full go. Um, so that's been really a little uh, disappointing that he hasn't been able to fully let it go. He'll throw bullpens, but from what I hear, he's not uh, going with maximum intensity on every pitch because he's still kind of building back up from that elbow thing. Maybe he's a little tentative. He has not been cleared to face hitters yet. And, uh, you know, it's today, July uh, 13th, so 11 days you know, from opening day. If he's not facing hitters yet, you know, do the math. He's not going to be ready to start the season. So, so that's too bad that they would have, uh, you know, hoped that he would have been ready from Jump Street here with the season starting so late. Uh, LaCroix, on the other hand, uh, great signs from him. I mean, he just is hitting the ball well. He's receiving well. And he's talked a lot about how just getting this herniated disc in his neck fixed made all the world of difference to him. He's just uh, free now after playing in pain for the last uh, three years or so. And he's also playing a little first base for them. If we catch our first base and uh, – DH at times if you're going to put uh, J.D. in the outfield here or there. Uh, this guy could be really helpful to this team and a really a big bat to have if he can kind of regain anything close to the type of form he had before, you know, the stick injury set in a few years ago. Ian, forgive me, I'm kind of zigzagging all over, but let me take you back to the bullpen for a second. Brandon Workman, I know, struggled in his inning of work the other day. Hasn't looked real smooth yet. 
And Ron Renneke has said he's not concerned. It's just location. The ball is coming out of his hand just fine. He was such an important piece last year, right? And, and especially this year with the emphasis on bullpen. I mean, not just with the Red Sox, but everybody. He's got to be right, right away, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he really does. Look, I wouldn't worry, Josh, about a couple of inter-squad games where, you know, the guy might not have his location or whatever. Um, look, these guys are trying their hardest, but it's hard to get amped up for these inter-squad games. You have uh, no fans in the stands, which you're going to have to get used to. But you're facing your own teammates. You're not going to have the same kind of uh, competitive juices all the time. So I think Workman's going to be just fine. He just needs to cut, cut down a little bit uh, on the walks from what he had last year. But just for the Red Sox, and I wrote about this today, um, it's very, very nice of them to have kind of a set closer going into the year. Because as, as you remember last year, you know, each day you didn't know who the heck was coming in in the ninth inning. It was Barnes, it was Brazier, it was Hembry, it was Workman. And their bullpen was – their ninth inning pitching was terrible in the first half last year. And I think a lot of it was because they didn't have a set outline. You can't blame that all on Alex Cora. Part of it was that he didn't know what he had out there. And then kind of Brandon Workman by midseason finally showed him what he had. Once Workman, once you could plug him in as the ninth inning guy, that opened up, you know, Barnes to pitch the eighth. And it just kind of, uh, you know, Josh Taylor was pitching the seventh and it just kind of created more of a set role uh, for everyone. I think bullpens are at their best. You know, when guys know when they're going to pitch, and I think that's what you have uh, this year. Kind of an underrated Red Sox bullpen right now. I think they're laying in the weeds a little bit. I think they feel they don't get a lot of respect. They pitched pretty well in the second half last year. Nobody seemed to notice because they sort of fell out of the out of the pennant chase. But uh, I think they feel pretty uh, reasonably good about, about the bullpen. And like I said, though, they really do need to get Taylor and Hernandez back because those were a couple of big pieces there. Since you're talking depth, I want to kind of swing it to what happens if there's a bunch of extra inning games, because this year it's the new rule of starting the 10th inning with a runner at second base and all of that. And wouldn't you love to have Billy Hamilton or just some, you know, just complete speed demon that could basically win you extra innings? So who's that guy that's going to pinch run, do you think? Is it Zuway Lin? I mean, somebody like that, a utility guy with, with just good base running instincts or would they consider just – I know Herb Washington's not available from 1974 to be yeah, a yeah. pinch runner, but what, what's the thought process there? Yeah, you make a great point with, uh, with Zue, um, and I think that he will be a guy that you'll see uh, at second base in the 10th inning, uh, you know, because this is why he played him at first base yesterday, because he said, you know, what if we have Lynn running for uh, Mitch Moreland and we could just keep him in the game? And uh, Lynn looked very good at first base yesterday for a guy who really never played the position. So this is a guy who can now play first, second, short, third, and center. And I think that Lynn's path, Josh, the last couple of years was really blocked by Brock Holt because he's kind of a guy who did the same thing for you, uh, being able to play all over the field. But now I think it's wide open for Lynn, and I think that he maybe is going to flourish this year, kind of uh, being that, that lead uh, utility guy off the bench. So, you know, strategy, it just seems like it's going to be so different this year. I mean, first of all, on kind of a macro level, you're playing 60 games on 162, and that's 60 if everything goes well, by the way, right? I mean, this could end up being a 40-game season for all we know. So, don't say it, Josh. Don't I know. I don't, I don't – and believe me, I, I, you know, I hope every – and I hope there's no rain. I hope – I mean, who knows what all could happen here. But it seems like Ron Renneke, I know he's new to Red Sox Nation, but the fact that he's been there, done that – has a sharp managerial mind. It just seems to me like this is a good year to have some good minds getting things. I mean, because there's just so many 
extracurricular things to worry about both on the field and off this year. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of inner workings this year and you're going to have to you know, deal with things that you've never dealt with in the past. So all you can do is just, um, you know, prepare all your contingency plans as best you can. Hope you're set up well for a 60 game season. And look, um, I think that, you know, a lot of teams are sort of bummed out about the 60 game season. Uh, this Red Sox team had no chance in a 162-game season this year, not with this pitching. I think they feel, Josh, just kind of reading between the lines, talking to them, they think maybe they can surprise some people this year, kind of catch lightning in the bottle, you know, be that team that catches lightning in a bottle in a shortened season, a sprint rather than a marathon. And uh, I think the Red Sox think that they're laying in the weeds and could maybe uh, be better than people expect this year. You know, one byproduct, unfortunate byproduct of, of everything that's going on, and I'd like to get your opinion on it, just in general, the minor leagues, we'll never see them like we saw them again. I mean, we know the landscape is going to change significantly. There's a financial crisis here. Uh, there's a likely contraction of, of 40 to maybe 50 teams here. I know Major League Baseball wanted to contract 42 anyway. I always thought that was horrible. But as it affects New England, McCoy Stadium was supposed to have this big pomp and circumstance, like a long goodbye this year. And instead, you just crumple it up like it's a paper towel and you just say, all right, bye. And you're off to Worcester. Now, I'm, I'm trying to get excited about that because I love the Woo Sox concept. I love the new ballpark that I've seen, the renderings of, love the logo, love that Central Massachusetts gets a team. But not being a Rhode Islander, I still kind of weep that they don't even get to say goodbye. Yeah, no, it is sad. Look, and McCoy, it's funny, McCoy is going to be used this season for um, the Red Sox extra pool of players. So they're going to have like 30 or so, um, 30, between 30 and 35 players who aren't on the major league roster, but guys who are kind of eligible to be called up if someone gets sick or someone gets hurt. Um, those guys will be working out at McCoy every day. But yeah, uh, no, no, no fans will be able to see this. And it is sad. You wish they could have maybe uh, some, some sort of send off, um, you know, find a way uh, next season to maybe play a last game there or something. Cause it's sad. They, uh, that, that's been an institution there in Pawtucket forever. So it's kind of sad that they're, uh, you know, they're going like this and not having that last season that they were supposed to have. So just back to the roster real quick, Ian, you know, I'm kind of working my way in it, around it and through it. And there's a lot of names on here that are not going to be recognizable initially. I mean, we talk about guys like Austin Bryce, who you just mentioned, and I'm going to, uh, in just a little bit, play a little cut from back in February that I had with him just so people can can hear what he sounds like and know his story. But guys like that, Josh Osich, and obviously I think the guy that a lot of people are really going to be staring at, let's face it, is, is Alex Verdugo. So how is he getting adjusted to right field? Because he, the guy does have to play some defense. How do you think he's going to be received? Yeah, I mean, I think this time uh, is beneficial, Josh. This, uh, these three weeks they have uh, – that they've had to get ready for the season that, you know, unlike McHugh, Verdugo has been a full go. So the downtime really did get do him some good. Uh, he's out there every day working on his defense, uh, on his offense. Uh, Kevin Pilar, another new addition, who's getting used to the right field out there. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Verdugo, uh, from what I hear, he's a very good right fielder with a, kind of a cannon for an arm. So, you know, the fact that they were able to trade Mookie Betts losing him for a 60-game season, and to get a player like Verdugo, where if uh, Jeter Downs, the prospect, if he turns into a good player, this could wind up being a pretty good trade, assuming you weren't going to be able to re-sign Mookie Betts anyway. So, you know, all eyes, Josh, are going to be on Verdugo 
this season to see and if he can be that kind of player they think he can be. And normally, Ian, your eyes would be darting all around a crowded clubhouse looking for what's the next good story, if not big <laughs> story, right? I mean, let, let's figure out who, whose story we're going to tell today. And now you're just being led to a Zoom call where everybody, I mean, let's say it's Verdugo on the call. Every writer, there's like 10 writers, you all write Verdugo that day because that's the only guy you get to talk to. So what does that do in the spirit of competition? First of all, you're all writing a Verdugo story. So, you know, I mean, nobody's going to be beating anybody else on anything. Uh, But also just what does that do for you and for the Red Sox in terms of getting these guys' narratives told? Because normally we rely on you and the writers and the broadcasters to, to help the fans figure out what's interesting and who's interesting and you just don't have that access right now yeah no it's tough josh it's not ideal so we're doing the best we can and i think that um as time evolves and storylines evolve there will be a chance for us to, you know to get some one-on-ones uh on zooms uh you know requesting through the pr staff but it's not quite the same because you know being in a clubhouse you know part of the fun is just kind of um you know making small talk with these guys getting to know them a little bit getting to know their stories and we can't do that. So it's a 60-game season. We're going to do, have to do the best we can. Uh, maybe um, we're going to be relying more on our own eyes, Josh, and more on analysis than just kind of player quotes this season. I think it's right. going to be kind of coverage that we're going to provide this year. But uh, the Boston media has a very creative uh, batch of writers, and they do kind of inspire you to be at your best every day. So I think there'll still be that same competition to write good stuff, even though it's not necessarily going to be as reliant on getting the interviews as it has been in the past, because, you know, that, that's just going to be uh, tough to do this year. But it's just six, 60 games this season. Hopefully we get in the 60 games. It's going to be over before you know it. And I think, Josh, the big thing we're just all hoping that uh, by spring training next year, everything's back to normal. We have a vaccine. We can get back to, to uh, covering baseball the way we've covered it our whole lives. Those stories that, that people have been used to through the years. But right now, um, you know, our hands are tied, but we're not going to whine about it because a lot of people have bigger problems in life right now than uh, reporters, you know, not getting the access they're used to. So you just got to keep in mind that it's just part of this whole pandemic. And everybody, I don't know a person, Josh, and I'm the same way who hasn't had their life affected in some way. Um, by the pandemic, whether they've gotten the coronavirus or just how it affects their jobs or how it affects their life or how it affects their kids. So this is just, you know, the world that, uh, you know, we're living in right now. Last one for you, Ian, and thank you for the generosity of your time, as always. Uh, if I had to pin you down right now to walk you through what is still the AL East, by the way, I mean, the, the divisions you know, to, to our minds still exist. I know, uh, you know, there, there's kind of like a a little silo that everybody's in, right? There's three silos. You're either in the West, the Central, or the East. But going pure AL East, one, two, three, four, five. I know the Yankees don't know what they've got with their oldest Chapman because of coronavirus right now, as, as you and I are talking. Everybody seems to love Tampa Bay. Number the teams for me, one, two, three, four, five. What do you think? Yeah, Josh, I'm going the Rays to win this thing because this just seems like their kind of year. With 60 games, they can be even more uh, creative and innovative than usual. And the one thing we always said with the Rays was, you know, it's hard to make what they do work over 162 games. They give them 60 games, and I think they're going to be dangerous. I'll go with the Yankees second, um, the Red Sox third, Toronto fourth, and, uh, you know, Baltimore a distant fifth. 
Ian, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for getting the info to us that you're able to get to us. Uh, keep masking up and staying safe and spreading sunshine. And we will talk again, hopefully, uh, within 3,000 miles of each other next time. It would be great. That sounds great, Josh. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, pal. All right, man. We'll talk All to right. you soon, okay? Okay, you bet. Thanks for your time. See ya. Thanks a lot, Josh. Yeah. Okay, so now that you've heard from Ian, and I know I promised you in there we'd be shooting it over to Austin Bryce now. Maybe we'll do that at some other point. I had uh, forgotten. I had queued up the Josh Osich tape from end of February. This was when spring training was actually spring training, not summer camp 2.0 brought to you by Camping World. This was actually when we thought we were going to have a normal season. Caught up with Josh Osich, just doing the whole get-to-know-you thing, and, and you'll hear off the top. Uh, I asked him a bad question, just kind of an open-ended essay question that he had nothing to, to comment on. But then we got going, and I think you'll enjoy it because he's a good guy. Here is Josh Osich. Let me actually start with uh, with this, if you don't mind. Josh Osich is with us, so very kind to do this. And uh, this is designed to kind of take you all the way back. We're going to do uh, a way-back machine in your childhood. Earliest baseball memory, what would that be, do you think? Oh. We start with the toughest one. So, you know, not like when you were two, but like if you were eight or something. Yeah, like that. I don't have anything special. Like, first little league team, do you remember what it was? I have no idea. <laughs> I just remember I like, always went out there and played. I never, I didn't do anything special. So, there's nothing, nothing that comes to mind than anything about little league or anything. So, when did it start getting serious though for you with baseball over other hobbies or whatever else you were into? In high school, probably my sophomore year in high school uh so bill buckner lived in idaho right when i was there and i used to do stuff with his son and uh we used to just do like camps and summer league stuff and so that's kind of like and uh my high school coach uh bobby sutcliffe his brother is rick Sutcliffe, so yeah i got to you got some connections yeah i got got a few so yeah, yeah it's, well let me go back to to billy buck because obviously red sox nation uh, you know quite the roller coaster they you know they they yeah. loved him then they hated him then they got to love him again w- what did you know of his legacy when, when you first got to meet him obviously the <laughs> that play at yeah. first base but that's really not who the guy was he guy had like 2,800 hits in his career and one of the best hitters in the game and I I saw this stat probably like a year ago and it said that he had never struck out like more than like once in a game so it's it's it's, insane yeah it's pretty crazy so (laughs) that's pretty cool like and uh I just remember him talking about hitting when I was in in high school and it's awesome to listen to a guy that's been there, done it, and was really good at it. Right. Let me, uh, if you don't mind, let me share some Idaho with you, because I actually, for the very first time, I'm talking about like weeks ago, went up and did the Sun Valley thing, Yep. Uh, did Twin Falls, yep. not that that was any great shakes, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've been to Boise a couple times to do basketball, and a very underrated town. Did you like growing up there? Yeah, it was awesome. I'm a big outdoors person, and there's, I like to fish a lot, so... Wow. Fly fish? Yes. Yeah. And I had fish all over the state, so some into Oregon, Nevada, and Montana, and so I just all over the place over there. 
Ironically, I'm standing here in this dippy-ass UCLA shirt while I'm going to ask you about <laughs> Oregon State. Uh, but uh, that's a great baseball school. Uh, it's not, Corvallis, they say, is a, is a nice town. Frankly, I haven't seen it personally, but I, you know, it's a town. I had a great time there, so I can't complain. Yeah. So tell me about So, I mean, baseball-wise, why is that school, which really is, for the fans that don't know, it's in this, I mean, it's tough to get to, and, and, yeah. and it's gray, and it's rainy, and it's, you know, it's dank, it's all of that, but what makes it so special? Uh, I think... I think... Uh, I, I'm sorry, Kevin Ploiecki, ladies and gentlemen. I'll go, go. <laughs> I think... Uh, if you if you get away from all the rainy months during during the spring when it's it's nice yeah it's like seventy five to like eighty degrees and sunny and no rain and stuff during the season so uh and Pat Casey and Marty Lee's and Nate Yeski and the coaches like they kind of like I wouldn't say we had the best talent when we were there, but they got everything out of us. They found a way, and we competed, and it was basically all the Northwest kids. If you were from that area, you wanted to go to that school. So it kind of set, like, a culture, and if you were from the area, Northwest area, you wanted to go to there. And guys like Conforto would come up from other places. And they started getting guys from Northern California, so we started getting guys from all over the place all right and i swear i'm not trying to be an agitator but what did you do for fun at that place were you in the greek system i mean was was it no i went fishing so that was it even (laughs) even in college yeah i fished all the time with two uh best friends of brandon hayes and taylor star oh right on brandon hayes had a little aluminum boat and we'd go fish for uh kokanee out of uh green peter reservoir and then we'd go fish for uh steelhead and salmon out of the All-Sea River, so... Wow, okay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. All right, so now we get to, to segue to some really cool stuff because, uh, and again, keeping it outdoors, you were just telling me you've got a little New England connection yep. to the great state of Maine. Yep. Uh, tell me about who the Mainers are that, that you know. Actually, no Mainers, really. Um, my wife was born in Andover, Massachusetts, okay. and her dad's from Medford, and then her mom's from Watertown, so... They live up in Maine also, and we live up there now, and my wife got her uh, doctorate degree at University of New England in Saco, Maine, so yeah, we have a little connection, brother and sister-in-law live up there too, so there's a little group of us. One other connection that I, I need you to tell everybody about, because they're going to dig this big, is uh, you've got a, a relative that actually knows Fenway a little bit. You've been there before, I yep. know, I mean, yep. you're coming into this season, but what, what's that all about? Um, my father-in-law worked, he sold like popcorn and soda back in like uh, the 60s, I think. Is wow. when he said. Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty cool experience. Uh, he's, he's a diehard Red Sox fan, so he watches all, hundred, all 162 games. So Did it kind of blow his mind when all of a sudden you're a Red Sox? Yeah, he's, he was probably more excited than I was. <laughs> yeah, so he's... <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. And, and before I let you go, thanks for doing this again, yeah. by the way. Uh, give me the, the travel log of organization to organization to organization. It's not like you're a vagabond. It's not like you've been in a hundred different yeah. organizations. But I, I always think it's interesting when, when you know you, you think you're going to, you know, whichever team drafts you, you think that's your team, right? And yep. you're, you're pledging allegiance to that organization. Then all of a sudden it doesn't 
happen that you're Cal Ripken and that you're spending the entire uh, lifetime with that group. So how did it come to be that, that you went from A to B to, to C? Uh, drafted in 2011 by the uh, San Francisco Giants and I was there all the way until 18 and then in 19 got I was going to spring training with them got DFA'd got claimed by the Orioles was with the Orioles for two and a half weeks got DFA'd by them got claimed by the White Sox so I went from Arizona to Florida Arizona <laughs> wow. in spring training wow. and then went to Charlotte for like seven to nine days, something like that. And they got called up. Uh, and then I was with the White Sox all last year. You wanted to be in baseball. You didn't know it was going to be like that, though. No. Right? You could yo-yo around. Yeah, and I then mean, right after the season was over, they didn't want to offer me a contract. So then they uh, put me on waivers and Red Sox claimed me. So I went to four teams. <laughs> I was part of four that, teams in one year. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> Last one for you. Uh, you mentioned fishing as an off-season pursuit, and I'm sure even on yeah, an off day, season. right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Even in the morning, oh, I yeah. would think sometimes. Oh, yeah. What What else is the? Uh, what are the other clubs in the bag? Just in terms of hobbies, is it? Uh, there's got to be something else besides the fishing. Yeah. So I like to hunt. Uh, I go to Montana every year, oh, and then um, I also I'm really into classic cars. Nice. Yeah. So do you, do you own or do you just kind of look at and wish? I own a 86 Land Cruiser, but that's really not a classic. Well, uh, if you fix it up, though, it's yeah, I wouldn't say classic, though. Yeah. It's not a classic yet. It's not old enough. Well, in 10 years, it'll be very classic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, but uh, I do stuff for a guy out of Southern California, Mark Spaziri. He uh, kind of collects classic cars and then sells them and fixes them up and sells them. So I've bought and sold quite a few that's a nice <laughs> little side hustle right yeah. there that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool i go to bear jackson all the time yeah I was, that's a, the famous one right yeah. the people i'm sure would yeah, know and so is that i mean if baseball wasn't a thing i mean and, and someday right i mean 20 yeah. 30 years from now whatever i don't know if you have designs on coaching in 20 years or whatever but could you see the the classic car thing and and fishing and living happily ever after and, and the josh osich story is pretty much complete at that point i, I would say just fish <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't even I'll, need the car yeah, I, would, I like the cars and everything i don't know if i'd want to do that as a job though so yeah. kind of maybe as a side thing but that was an everyday thing. So. Well, this job, we're so glad to have you, buddy. Thank yeah, you. Thank Welcome. You. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. And I, I'm going to totally wear your ass out by showing you. This literally was like a week ago, but Sun Valley was the shit. It it's was awesome. so cool. It was so cool. Um, oh, yeah. Just, I mean, I don't know what I do with the other ones. But, yeah, I mean, you've been there, obviously. You know it. It's, um, I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. It's, yeah, it's, oh, here we go. We yeah. have, like, there's elk there. Yeah. Um, we have like uh, I think it's nine ski resorts in Idaho. So fell off the damn snowmobile. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was great. We had such a good time. So fun up there. Um, Oregon State going to be great again this year. I haven't really been following that much this year. All right, thanks so much to Josh. We'll continue to give you some of these on the podcast every week here, getting to know some of the younger players and newer players on the Red Sox as we all click into gear here for 2020. However bizarre. It may end up being, but at least there's a 2020 to talk about. Wear your mask. Stay safe. Let's have some baseball. Let's all be good to each other, right? As they said in the Will Ferrell movie about the ABA, you guys remember that one? About the Flint Tropics, 
What was Will's catchphrase? Everybody love everybody. Let's try and do that here as we get set for baseball. Finally in the year 2020. This is Josh Lewin. Take care. Thanks again for listening to Red Sox Beat from CLNS.